It's a new week here on YWC Football Talk, but before we start today, um, I just quickly wanted to send my thoughts out to the family of Doug Kide, whose daughter lost a battle with cancer this past week. So it's just been a very tough week for Patriot fans and just for Doug and his family in that sense. So we're just sending all the best. Uh, there is a GoFundMe set up, and there's also they're asking for instead of flowers and everything like that for donations to I believe it's the Dana Farber Cancer Center in the New England area. So just wanted to air our grievances out about that, just going through an unspeakable tragedy like what the Kyan family suffered this past week. Yeah, and it's um, something they've obviously been dealing with the the entire time. Um, and if you follow Doug, and you should follow Doug, I think he's a really good, um, yeah. you know, he used to be exclusively for the, for the Patriots, went national, kind of came back local. Um, he's really one of the better, you know, better beat reporters, um, really even no hot takes, you know. Reports on reports on things in a way that's really respectable. Um, so to see him kind of go through that is um, it's, it's just really tough, and it's it's sad because you you know you know that old saying you know a parent should never bury a child. So you know I saw that and I legitimately felt sick to my stomach. So you know thoughts out to the Kai family. Exactly, it's just it's one of those unspeakable tragedies. You, just, you don't wish upon anyone. You wouldn't want your a person you absolutely hate to go through. It's just one of those unspeakable things and. Um, they're, they've like, I've seen some of the stuff he's been posting on social media. And even too, for me, like I read some of the stuff, it just really tugs you. I'm not a father yet, but like, no, I'm not expecting anything, but it's one of those <laughs> things that it kind of just like, you read it. You're just like, it leaves, I don't even want to say tugs your heartstrings. It just leaves like a, there's like a pit at the empty, at the bottom yeah. of your stomach, you know? Yeah. It like, it, it, you read it and it, you just feel ill. You're like, I need to, I need to lie down. I need to do something else. I need to just not feel how I'm feeling right now. Um, and I'm sure as a reader feeling, you know, seeing that, and I don't know, uh, I don't know, Doug, we've interacted on Twitter a few times, but I don't know him, obviously. Um, and for me to feel sick reading that, I, I can only imagine it's 150 times worse for him and his family. You know what I mean? Exactly. Cause like, that's the same thing too. Like I've, I see him on Twitter all the time. I know, like, like you said, you I believe it was with Nesson and then PFF hired him and then he came back. Um, Fun fact, I think he was working with A to Z before a certain now friend of the show, shout out Sophie with Sophie, two E's, yeah. with two E's and two R's, um, got that position. And then I believe he went back to the Herald, because him and Callahan do really good work at the Herald. But like we were saying before, just to mention on the subject, it's just we wish nothing but the best for him and just know that, look, Patriots Nation's behind you. Absolutely. Yes. Um, so we're obviously going to turn gears now to everything going on. And look, this week's been kind of not crazy for football, but there's been a lot of head coaching hires. But yeah. the one I want to center in on the most is the Atlanta Falcons. Not because of who didn't get hired, but because I don't know if you saw this report come out, but Terry Fontenot and new head coach Raheem Morris are going to specifically report to Arthur Blank and Rich yeah. McKay's kind of on the football side because – it's just very interesting to see. I don't know how involved Arthur Blank's going to be with ownership there, but at the same time, too, do you think the Raheem Morris hire signals that, like, that, like, what do you think it signals to you, if you had to guess? Um, I think it's uh, a matter of familiarity, right? He yeah. was there, you know, he was there DC down there uh, early on. So that's what, 2027, 20, uh, I think it was 2018 to 2020 or something to that effect. Yeah. Um, and he was the interim head coach there after they um, they moved on from Dan Quinn. He was the interim head coach there. 
they went, you know, four and seven over that time span. And players, once again, as we've seen with a few interim head coaches around the league, really rallied for him um, and he didn't get the job. So then he ended up in L.A. and on McVay's staff. Um, I think it it's a it's a signal of familiarity for Arthur Blank, who from all from all accounts, it just kind of sounds like he's fed up with the constant churn that they've had over at the um, in the leadership positions. Yep. Um, and I think him stepping into that, you know, a more hands-on approach and having everyone report directly to him as opposed to you know Rich McKay, who they you know refer, uh, reported to prior to this year. Um, yep. I think it kind of signals like, hey. I got to get a handle on things. I'm tired of turning through coaches. We should be a better team than we are. We have a solid nucleus. Let's kind of get this all together. And what better way to do that than with someone that you know and that you trust and that you should have hired, you know, four years ago. Yeah, that's exactly it. Because, look, I think they went for the bright offensive mind because it's like, look, Arthur Smith is good with the, with the uh, Titans offense and then comes to Atlanta and just – I don't know what happened. Like, he just decided – I have all these players. We're not going to use them. That's the thing that worries me about the Morris hire because he is a defensive guy, but at the same time, too, that's a defense this year that's really shown that they can, you know, play with a lot of the good teams in the NFL. It's just on the offensive side of the ball, they couldn't get it done. So if you go in there, they're the team. I don't even look at the draft a quarterback. I look at them to bring in a vet. Yeah. The, to that perfect veteran situation. Bring them in. Have this tr- – not win now mentality, but have this, like, be competitive because we know – Look, three of the four teams in the NFC South are probably going to be competitive next year. There's one that I do want to talk about in a little bit. But um, it's just a very interesting hire because I feel like all the Bijan truthers are now going to be like, our boy is free. Our guy is here to do what he was intended to do. And if Kyle Pitts has a breakout year, and we know if Drake London, same thing, Bijan, like I'm not saying like go crazy, but if these guys live up to like sort of their draft potentials, we're all going to look at Arthur Smith right away and be like, you go work for daddy at FedEx. Don't, don't coach football again. Yeah. Um, yeah. The Arthur Smith thing was so interesting in the first place. I, um, I know why he got the job um, and, you know, they're like bright offensive mind and all that. Really. He yeah. just had like that incredible run with Ryan Tannehill um, mm-hmm. and that kind of, you know, propelled him into the conversation as like one of the top offensive you know, offensive minds in the game, but I really don't know if that's if that was even true. Like, I, I, I don't buy it, and I think what we've seen in his tenure in Atlanta kind of supports that. Like, eh, let's kind of let's kind of pump the brakes. He's had a magic carpet year with Ryan Tannehill and let a, you know career resurgence, and that's great. But I, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't love what he did schematically, and the fact that he would just kind of take the ball out of his best player's hands, right? Like, and that's yeah. something you, you know, coaches say all the time. We're gonna give our playmakers the ball, but you have Kyle Pitts, and you really didn't give him the ball after his rookie year, or not as much as he should have. He should have been a focal point, but instead, you know, they're riding Cordero Patterson to a breakout year at age thirty-one or, or whatever, you know, however old he is, and it's like. I don't really understand that, but he was, you know, he did manage to get the best out of John New Smith, and that was pretty rad. So, you know. yeah, you know, that's just, that's just it. But also, he had John New familiarity from his time at Tennessee as well. Exactly. Um, it's just interesting to see because it's like, okay, we now know Atlanta's going to be one of those teams that they feel like they're in a go for it stage where it's either going to be, hey, they'll find a way to sneak into the playoffs, or it'll kind of be the same things last year where, hey, you're eight, nine, and eight, nine, seven, and ten again, crash and burn. But with the NFC South, too, we have another head coach hiring that came down the wire today. And my father, who's a Saints fan, kind of came to me and was surprised by this. But at the same time, too, 
this is the perfect fit in the sense of look, the GM's the guy David Tepper's not going to try to bark with because we I'm blank on the guy's name, but he just looks he's a complete meathead, used to play football, worked his way up in player personnel. But then they signed Dave Canellis to a six-year contract, which I think Tepper's kind of realizing the same thing of, hey, we've been through, I think it's five, like the Matt Rule thing crashed and burned. Then there was Ron Rivera. There was, I'm blanking on, oh, Steve Wilkes took over the job. Frank Wright, Krista Tabor. So it's been like five coaches since 2019. Yeah. And I think this is this six-year contract with Dave Canellis is finally signaling we're going to let him, we're going to let the coach do his thing. We're not just going to fire him because shit's not going right. Which next year, I'm not here to say Bryce Young is going to have a Baker Mayfield-esque season, but I think there's just that security of knowing that, hey, this guy's going to be here to, you know, see Bryce grow. Not, 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 not like height-wise because we know that's probably done, but grow as a player. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I hope that's what it signals. I, um, if you follow me on Twitter, and you should, at Patriots POV, it's somewhere down If you're not, uh, one, aren't you? There, there we go. Um, I, I'm not a believer in Tepper. I think he's um, someone who's classically too involved um, as an owner. I think, you know, he's mm-hmm. probably a great businessman. I'm not in the world of business, but, you know, he made a ton of money. So he obviously must be at least good at that. Um, yeah. So, you know, he, he makes a ton of money and he's a great businessman, but that doesn't necessarily make you a great football mind. Um, yeah. And for someone who's as involved as he is, I just, uh, you know, I, I don't think, the problems are the GM. I didn't, you know, I thought Matt Rule's problem, absolutely. I didn't think the problem, though, was, uh, you know, was uh, Frank Reich. No. Um, I just think he's very involved in a lot of decisions that uh, if I were a businessman and not a football person, I would kind of lead to the business people who came in. And apparently it was his decision to kind of move on from Cam Newton. And they've been kind of struggling to find a quarterback ever since. And they went out and they got a quarterback uh, and didn't give him anything to work with, right? No offensive line. His best receiver was Jonathan Mingo or Adam Thielen, really. But Jonathan Mingo is their, you know, their young, you know, wide receiver one potential or whatever the case is there. But his best receiver was Adam Thielen. They don't really have a running game. They, you know, traded Christian McCaffrey. They're Placed him with Miles Sanders, who did exactly what Miles Sanders always does. He kind of plays here and there, but he's mostly absent. Chuba Hubbard was out there as well, but come on, he's Chuba Hubbard. Uh, their defense has really nothing going on, even though they have a lot of names. You have J.C. Horns over there, and and you have uh, Brian Burns is over there. So it's like you, you have the names. It's just something is wrong. And at all of these points, right from the early on in the Matt Rule era to the uh, to the Frank Reich era, and then obviously you know Tabor took over. Um, the constant in all of that had been or has been, you know, uh, David Tepper. And so the Canales hire doesn't really move me <laughs> in that way simply because, like, you know, Tepper's still over there. So, like, I can only get so excited for it. I think he's – um what he did with, with – uh, what he did with Baker this year was obviously impressive. But I think taking a year back, what he did with Gino last year mm-hmm. was insane. Um, so I think there's going to be some hope and everyone, you know, you know how it is when these hirings come down anyway, everyone's always excited. Everyone always got their guy. This is going to be great for the future. And in about two and a half years, at least four of these dudes will be shit canned. So it happens. It, I, I believe it's going to happen again in Carolina, uh, especially because they don't really have the, the assets to kind of, you know, reload and surround Bryce with the talent that I think he, I don't know if needs, because I think he can elevate the play of players around him, but I think um, the talent he deserves, right? If, if DJ Chark is your best player, uh, is your most explosive player, we'll say with that, God if he's your most you. explosive player, it's 
yeah, things are pretty rough down there. So um, I don't know. I'm not I'm not big on the Panthers right now, but I, I think that's because on the whole, I'm down on um, on David Tepper and his ownership. It's been nothing but losing seasons since he got there, and it kind of feels like it's going to be nothing but losing seasons until. So when I say I like the hire, I like the hire in the sense that it can kind of help Bryce. I'm not here to say mm-hmm. Dave Dave Canales mm-hmm. is going to come in and next year the Carolina Panthers are playing this late in the January. No, 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 no. I look at it the same way I look at the Jonathan Gannon hire, where look, yeah. or even I don't want. I want to say Dan Campbell in the sense of he can maybe build a culture there. Not Dan mm-hmm. Campbell, the same thing where they're playing late in and they hit on a bunch of draft picks, though, because we all know they don't have their first this year and they don't have their second next year. Which, if you know me by now, I always preach on hitting your Friday picks because if you hit your Friday and your Saturday pick, you win the draft. Now with the David Tepper stuff. And I'm going to pay to pay. Um, you know what? This is going to come back to the Patriots. Why? Because it's our, it's my podcast. That's what's going to happen. I feel like a lot of these businessmen owners that have come into the league recently see the Robert Kraft effect, where it's a business or a Jerry Jones, even to a certain extent, minus the carnival barking. But um, how a businessman comes into the NFL, they build a winning culture, they build this foundation of excellence immediately, and they're like, "I can do that." And then you kind of realize, "I'm not going to do that," even though in their head, it's that striving for perfection just time and time again you know like how robert Kraft yeah. came in like the fact that he said that this is the highest that they've drafted since he's taken over the team i think is a very underrated very good achievement for the organization for but sure. as a whole with the david tepper stuff it's just the like if you want to look at a perfect example of recent businessmen coming in that have really helped their organization by just being the business person and not doing anything basketball related the man who preaches about toilets in Southern California, Steve Ballmer, you know, <laughs> yeah. took over under on very unfortunate, very bad circumstances considering what happened with Donald Sterling. But you know what yep. I mean? You yep. never see him getting involved in basketball ops. He's out he's there. just a businessman. He's exactly. That's what a lot of these businessman owners have to do. I have a saying, let the football people football. That's what yep. he has to do. It's also, it's Dan Morgan, by the way, that's the name of the new uh, GM there. Yeah, um, he spent eight years with the uh, Seahawks, right? Yes, and he was also, yeah. I believe, with the Panthers for a bit as a player. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just my thing with old David Tepper stuff is until he realizes that, hey, I'm going to back off and do this, it's kind of that ticky-tacky thing. Like, we kind of see yep. it a bit with Pagula as well with uh, with Buffalo to a certain extent. Yeah, where, agree. yeah agree. You see it there. but Because, like, there's some owners who have says and stuff. Because, like, we all know some owners are involved, but it's always the ones you don't hear about. Like, you, like with this weekend. Steve Bashotti, you don't hear a word about him with football stuff. Yep. Clark Hunt's another one. You don't hear anything with football. Jed York and uh, uh, Martha, Fo- Martha Fo- uh, Sheila Hampton. Firestone Ford, yeah. yeah Fire- even Firestone Ford, too. You don't hear anything coming out of their mouths. Like, they basically said, like with with uh, Ford Hamp, we hired Brad Holmes, we hired Dan Campbell. We're going to let them do their thing and look where it's gotten them with, uh, with, um, with Detroit. Um, the two other hires, I quickly just want to touch on the Titans one. I like it. I don't know how good they're going to be, but I feel like Brian Callahan. Oh, uh, Brian Callahan? Yeah. It's one of those ones where it's like he's earned it, and the same thing to do with Dan Pitcher, um, getting from the quarterback coach to the, to the offensive. offensive coordinator for the Cincinnati Bengals, yeah. Yeah, so it's like – and then going on to the um, Brian Callahan hire, it's just, look, you have to get an offensive mind in there. I believe Will Levis is the guy they're going to try to make it work with, so for all those tens of purposes, it's going to be good. It's just how good are they, I don't know. And I want to go back to Carolina for one second because I'm going to say this. There's a part of me that's just thinking about should the Patriots try to lure Brian Branch even though they don't necessarily need a defensive edge? I just thought about that. But at the same time, too, it's just like 
I can see him staying in Carolina or going to this one of the like a random team that just offers him an absurd amount of money. Yeah, I think uh, a team that would be really fun to see him on is like Indianapolis. Just let him like rush the passer and only yeah. rush the passer. I think that'd be you know that would be a great uh, a great yeah. move there. But uh, going back to the hire of um, Brian Callahan, I know that there's a lot of consternation uh, around mm-hmm. it just because he didn't call the plays in Cincinnati. Um, and I I just have to say it just to get it on record. I really think we are we are way overvaluing like how much calling the plays matters, right? If you're the one, if you're the architect of the offense, you you yeah. design a scheme schematically and you're the one scheming these dudes wide open. I don't need to be the one to call the plays if I designed it. You know what I mean? And and from all intents and purposes, if you follow Joe Goodberry, who's a really good Cincinnati, you know. I think he's really just a fan, but he has like a huge platform. Um, and I know he does some writing and he does film breakdowns and all that. He's one of my favorite follows in general. Um, he really broke down what it was that Brian Callahan did for the Cincinnati offense. And oh, yeah. yeah, he didn't call plays, but he he architected the, you know the entire the entire thing. Now it's obviously a little different because you're not going to be he's not going down there with Joe Burrow. He's not taking uh, you know Jamar Chase with him, but. Nope the you want the person who designed the play you, mm-hmm. you that's the person you want and i think that eric b enemy right who in in washington um he's another one where he has kind of been held back just by the 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 stigma of oh but he didn't call the plays you know yeah. andy reed you know um and I, I really do think we are way overblowing that you can hire an offensive offensive coordinator who didn't call the plays he will figure it out it's not i mean come on that's exactly it. It's how did the offense work? Like I want to give an example. The fact that he made it work with Jake Browning, obviously Jake Browning turned back into a pumpkin, like all backup quarterbacks do. We see, yeah, this we, do. we saw with Joe Flacco. We saw it with Bailey Zappi, Tommy DeVito. All these guys eventually have a game where they just, yep. but he made it work with Jake Browning in the meantime and kept Cincinnati very relevant, even though they had a bad start to the year. You had the burrow injury in a game. I still say, I don't think he should have played in, mm-hmm. but you had Jake Browning come in, and you know what? You make do with what you make do, and that's how I see good in my eyes. If you can make it do with anyone, that's how you know it's a good fit. And also do the whole play calling thing. When it's an offensive head coach, it shouldn't be an issue. Kind of like with Philadelphia, we see it right now where, hey, was that more Shane Steichen? Was it more Nick Sirianni? Which that seems a whole mystery on its own of who's yep. going to go there. Um, but the biggest elephant in the room higher, and I love it for the – not for the fit, but for the quarterback – but Jim Harbaugh going to the Chargers. We're going to get Jim and John this year. Someone tweeted out, oh, is it going to happen in the Super Bowl? And everyone's just like, who's going to tell <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, That's not how that works. <laughs> <laughs> it's a SpongeBob meme where he's cleaning the table. It just crabs a Squidward outside. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, like, how do we tell him? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's that's an exciting hire. Uh, just because you, you saw what he did with J.J. McCarthy. Yeah. Um, and obviously I, I like JJ McCarthy. I really do. I think he's a, um, he's an interesting prospect. I like him a little more than a lot of, a lot of other people. And I think that a lot of that is due to age, right? He's only 20 or 21 mm-hmm. um, heading into the season. So he's a young player, a lot of room to grow there. We saw what he was, you know, what they were able to do in Michigan with him winning the natty. I know they feel like they hit him a lot and, Oh, you know, he wasn't really doing all that much, but the talent was there. I think you soup him up. And, you know, put him in 10 in L.A. and you have yourself some absolute magic, right? You have Justin Herbert is one of those players that I think he gets a little too much love 
for a lot of things that he he could accomplish but hasn't accomplished. Um, but all that said, I, I, obviously he's one of the you know the ten best quarterbacks in the league. He's probably one of the best six quarterbacks in the league. Um, you give him Jim Harbaugh, I think there's going to be some magic there. Um, I'm curious to see though. I know Jim Harbaugh has always had a team that can really make it happen on the ground, right? All mm-hmm. of their all of his teams have a really good running situation. I have said it before and I'll say it again. I don't think Austin Eckler is a very good runner. I think he's a really good football player, right? I think he's a great pass catcher. He's a good do it all kind of player. I don't think as a pure runner, like, Hey, we're just going to line up. We need five mm-hmm. yards give it to Eckler. He's going to get us five yards. That's not what's going to happen. Um, so I, I'm curious to see who he brings in to kind of transform that ground game. Cause I think that's something that can absolutely happen. What if they have a position to draft Blake Corum? I was thinking about that today. That would be fun. That would be fun. I think he's a good back. I, I but I, I almost wonder if they want something, someone more experienced, like someone more in that Damian Harris kind of. Uh, and that's that's going to be a name I throw out there for Dame uh, for Damian Harris. He's a free agent. Obviously, he didn't play too much for the Bills this year, uh, following that injury. injury. Yeah, but I think that's the kind of player you need. Someone you know, like hey, we can just ride him, give him seventeen carries a game, mm-hmm. and be all right. And I think that'll also help Eckler because he's not trying to you know, pound it between the tackles 15 times a game when that's just not his his style of play. So I, I'm, I'm really curious to see how that offense transforms. Um, they obviously have all of the pieces in place. Um, and really, they really do need to shore up that defense. So I'm, I'm curious to see how it works. But Jim Harbaugh, obviously um, a really good uh, hire there. I am a little apprehensive because Ian Rappaport reported earlier, hey, you know, here are the names. He can get the old band back together. And he, you know, rattled off a list of uh, of coaches that Jim Harbaugh could consider bringing in. Now, it was phrased as more connecting the dots and speculation and less of a report. But, man, that was under that was an underwhelming list. You know, you started off with Greg Roman. And I'm like, Greg Roman, in the year of our Lord 2024, like, what are we doing? Um, I just didn't love that. Pep Hamilton um, was also on that list. Uh I think that would be fun. Um, I think he did a good job with the defenders in 2020. I know it looked terrible last year in Houston, but he also wasn't given a ton to work with. So, yeah. you know, I, you know, I, so the, the, that entire thing is interesting to me because I just want to see who he brings in and how his time away from the NFL has transformed how he thinks about the pro game. One name that's kind of come up. So I, I like to listen. I know the this guy, this insider doesn't have the best name, but uh, or best name. Some of his takes are a little crazy, but I like to listen to Florio's podcast every day. Just mm-hmm. him and Sims talk. Like I know Chris Sims, same thing too. But Chris, like, really knows his football, has a lot of good opinions. One name that they threw out today, maybe not for a back and quarterback because you're not going to play behind Herbert. But if they wanted to bring in Kaepernick in a coaching situation, do you feel like there would be the backlash there was for? that you were seeing with the players where there's this whole, like, you know, the workout that like never went happened and all the yeah. 32 teams, no one ready and all this stuff like there. Because remember at the end of the day, Harbaugh's the person that always believed in Kaepernick. He benched Alex Smith to play Kaepernick. So I'm just yeah. thinking about it where if he needs a quarterback coach, like I know it's not playing because I feel like Kaepernick, there's not a chance he played. No, play I think, I think that's probably game. over. Yeah, yeah. But if the coaching position was open, I'm not saying offense coordinator, but like to be a quarterback coach to kind of, work with Herbert because look, they are very similar style where they can throw the ball and they also can use their legs as well. And they're both pretty tall. So just like connecting some potential dots here, you know? Yeah, that would be interesting. I just, I don't know if, um, if Colin Kaepernick has that in his, you know, 
in his vision for his future, right? I, yeah. I don't think I've ever heard him connected in any kind of coaching. He's really all about his activism, which I obviously applaud. Um, he has that huge deal with um, with Disney. I it, it would be interesting. I just don't know that. I, I don't know if I've ever heard. But, I mean, obviously, if, if Florio and Sims are speculating on it, it must come from somewhere, right? They didn't just, like, pull that out of thin air. So that would be really interesting. Um, as far as backlash goes, uh, yeah, I think there would be backlash because I think at this point he's – a mercurial name right just the name alone will get people like talking even even mm -hmm. if you know they don't know the entirety of what's been going on or, or you know haven't heard of him since 2016 and they'll still be really mad um but because he's a coach i think it's one of those things that it would people would care a lot for like 12 days and then they'd yeah. get right over it it would be the the same people that hate taylor swift right now yeah what is up with that i i that has been really confusing to me as well like I'm just scrolling and people are like, oh, yeah, these Swifty fans are taking over the NFL. They can go to hell. And I'm like, why? What what, what, uh, what do we miss? Like, they are they they're making Jason Kelsey tribute videos. They're posting a photo of Taylor kicking a beach ball at a concert and saying she knows how to kick throwing shade at Tyler Bass. <laughs> like, it's hysterical. <laughs> like, even though, look, I applaud Jason Kelsey. And I know some people are saying, oh, he might still play. I'm like, no, no, no. He's I'm like, I look well, it up. It's like, over. He's over. He's and also to the fact that he's in the box as well, and with even with Taylor as well, she's just there having fun, supporting her yeah. man, and all this other stuff. So I, that's why that's I just wanted to throw that point in there where it's both of them not caring. But with the AFC West now, I'm not thinking this could happen, but I think we might get the AFC West that in 2022 everyone thought that we were. Oh that, get. yeah, the, the hyper competitive, everyone's in it kind of division. Yeah, every game prime great. time, four playoff teams. Holy yeah, yeah, cow! Yeah. And they gave us the Broncos nonstop, even though you know we could all kind of see the writing on the wall there. Yep. Yeah, that would be interesting. I think the Raiders, um, in order for that to happen, the Raiders have to go out there and get themselves a legitimate quarterback. Yep. I mean, Ian McConnell is a nice story, and he's a uh, decent bridge guy. He's mm -hmm. not the guy, though. So you know, go out there, go out there, get yourself a nice, exciting quarterback, and yeah, let's let's ride. Yeah, and because one question I have, because everyone was saying, because they were saying, like Florida was saying the same thing today with the Hall of Fame coaches. Like obviously Andy Reid, Shuin, walk into Canton, Harbaugh. I still, I feel like he he would get into the College Football Hall of Fame. I don't know if he would get into the Canton yet with his coaching resume. But one thing they kind of left out, and I think he already has a ticket punched to Canton, and that's Sean Payton. I feel like whenever he's done coaching, like. Not Man. like immediate, not like immediately, immediately, but like you know, yeah, Tom, but like at some point Tom, he'll be there. Like you know, Tom Flores got inducted like two years ago, even though he's been out of coaching for like I think like thirty five years. Yeah, like that sort of thing. That that is so so interesting. Um. Man, I don't know. Ah, uh, you know, here's the thing with Sean Payton. Um, public perception on him has like shifted in a mm -hmm. weird way over the last like five years where I always thought he was like, kind of like, you know, he's a pretty good coach. Um, and people are, you know, I saw, I saw someone call him Mike McCarthy in New Orleans. And I'm like, what? Like, and then you like, look at their resumes and I'm not going to lie. It's a little closer than I expected. It's one of those things that sounded ludicrous. And then you looked at it and you're like, that is fair. That is a lot fairer than I thought. But I, um, I think obviously playing with Drew Brees uh, increases his profile you know, he was a, a great coach. I don't, I don't know. I, I, it can go either way with, uh, with Sean Payton. I still think he's a, a pretty good coach, but he does seem like someone who's kind of prickly in a way that might, uh, deter voters. Cause people are really one, I, I guess I maybe just underestimated how much people 
cared about uh bounty gate right because yeah uh even now when it's mentioned there's a lot of vitriol in all the comments and i'm like whoa i didn't know that we uh were all this upset like i know like obviously it was a shitty thing to do and all that but people are like yeah fuck this guy forever and i'm like whoa okay sure um that and, must you be know, kevin james version of him not the uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then obviously what he did in denver this year um not even just from a coaching standpoint because i don't think that that team was very good in the first place but from the whole russell wilson we're gonna bench you no we're not three weeks later yes we are you're benched for the rest of the year because we want to get rid of you or whatever and apparently that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way as well so um i don't know i think it shouldn't matter uh none of that should matter but as we saw with terrell owens um missing it on his first ballot, the Hall of Fame voters can be uh, weirdly petty uh, and sanctimonious, kind of self-righteous about that. So I wonder if the whole Bounty Gate thing kind of keeps him out of the conversation a lot longer than he should be. Didn't realize that the BBWA, uh, uh, the BWWA voted for the Pro Football Hall of Fame as well. Um, (laughs) Only because of the pettiness from a lot of them. Yeah, Uh, yep. Um, And then... Patriots, obviously, there's nothing really crazy to report on. We thought we were going to go two, three for three because you and I two weeks ago, boom, Dave Belichick announces he's stepping down. Last week, you, Sophie, and I, boom, Gerard Mayo, that's the day he's getting hired. I'm going to say this right now. I'm not saying that I don't care. I just, the defensive coordinator, look, at the end of the day, I think it's it's going to be, and I hope that it is Covington because we haven't heard any other names. Mm -hmm. And also, I'll say this, when I first saw the report, I've had such a love-hate relationship with CBS Sports because I, if it was Jason Lockenfora, I would have taken it with a grain of salt because he's gotten a lot of stuff wrong. Holy cow, yeah. That guy's wrong all the time. <laughs> yeah. But then Jonathan Jones is yes, and legit, he is legit, very good. Mm-hmm. And it was, I'll be honest with you. You were the first tweet I saw with the coach screaming, let's go, because I'm just like, you got to make the, in, make the in-house hire. He's been here forever. He knows the yep. defense. The defensive line is still – look, I saw a thing on tonight on Instagram. Christian Barmore's already gone back to work. So, yeah, the, 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 uh, it would be perfect. But with the Patriots, I care more about who's running the offense because we know the defense will be fine, and it's the offense. It's who's going to be there no matter how much of degenerate gamblers are probably not on the roster at the beginning of the year. But um, – Nine thousand is insane. Nine thousand yeah. is insane. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Um, but with the Patriots, I care more about who gets the offensive job. And I think the longer it lingers, look, it won't shock me if it's Josh. It would not shock me. Boy, 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 boy. All right. So I'm in a couple of Patriots group chats. Uh, and the main one I'm in with a lot of guys that I really enjoy. Uh, and you know, they were they were kind of getting on my ass because you know i said it was josh and they're like oh you're just upset because bill was fired which is true i am um and you you know you're you're like all mr negative now and i'm like i'm not it's just kind of paying attention to what's happening right so we knew the minute that bill got fired or bill had a mutual parting of ways um it immediately came out that hey look out for jerron mayo and anyone who paid any attention to what happened last year with the statement that was released and you know you know them a lot you know kind of crafting them putting it out like hey we're gonna try to retain gerard mayo um and we're gonna hire an offensive coordinator i was like that was really weird so it's like all right clearly mayo's next in line he was he sat in on a bunch of uh oc interviews last year and i guess he was really involved in free agency and so it kind of signaled hey that's what's going to happen so when bill mutually agreed to part ways with with the patriots 
I think it made all the sense in the world that everyone's like, yeah, it's going to be Jerron Mayo. Uh, and the reports were like, hey, it's going to be Jerron Mayo. And we still had people who were like, oh, well, you know, we'll see who they get. And I'm like, come on, like, let's, let's be real. It's going to be Jerron Mayo. Um, so then Jerron Mayo gets the job. And immediately you start seeing tweets like, hey, Josh McDaniels could be an option here. Hey, Josh McDaniels. Hey, familiar name. Hey, a potential reunion. Josh McDaniels, Josh McDaniels, Josh McDaniels. Um, and so you say that and people are like, oh, no, that that's not going to happen. They're going to move on from the, you know, it's a new era. They're going to move on. But every week we, every week since, and it's only been like three weeks, we've gotten some word of some way or some fashion that, Hey, Josh McDaniels is still kind of, you know, lingering around. Now you have, mm-hmm. you know, Jeff Howe who works for the athletic. Um, one of my favorite, uh, you know, when he was local with the Patriots, when he originally worked for the Herald, um, one of my favorite follows, he kind of put it out multiple times. Like, Hey, Josh McDaniels, if Bill doesn't get hired in Atlanta, which he didn't, Josh McDaniels is going to shoot up that list. Hey, Josh McDaniels, Josh McDaniels. So, um, you know, I then again said today, said, hey, don't be surprised. It's going to be Grow. It's going to be, you know, Mayo and it's going to be Josh McDaniels. Those are going to be like your principal figures. Um, and, you know, obviously people get upset with that because they don't want Josh McDaniels back and all that. And I, I can understand that. Um, my thing is, I think Josh is a better offensive coordinator than he's ever gotten credit for. I think he's way overhated. Um people get upset about the weirdest things with him. Like, oh, it's third and long. He's going to throw a screen. And I'm like, yeah, what else are you going to do? Like throw it downfield when we don't have any players who can get downfield? Like, no, you're going to take the safe play. You're going to punt. You're going to play field position. Let your defense do what it does. Anyway, he gets a lot of hate for a lot of things. However, where I stand with Josh McDaniels is the Patriots sold the moving on from Belichick and hiring of Mayo as the start of a new era. That was Mm -hmm. like all you saw for like three days. New era, new era, new era. Um I just don't buy that it's a new era if, one, the front office is the same, and all indications at this point are that Matt Groh and Elliot Wolf will be retained and they will stay and serve in the same capacities or similar capacities to what they served last year. So, all right, cool, the front office is the same. Yeah, Gerard Mayo is the head coach now, and that's a little different, but he was on staff last year. All right, fine, but, you know, yeah, still, all right, cool. Now, if you then go on and bring back Josh McDaniels, who's now been here, you know, who's gone and come back now, this would be his third 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 time around right um if you now bring him back and you're looking at the same front office uh the same offensive coordinators that we knew most of the same players and the differences the head coach you then start to look at it like well how much of a new era are we talking about Mm -hmm. right and if especially if demarcus Covington does get the dc job and i think he should um i think he's obviously well respected they sent him as the dc for the shrine bowl um last year you see that his his unit was the best on the team, right? His defensive line, he coached the defensive line, and they were the best. Christian Barmore had a breakout year. Um, they were able to turn Mac Wilson into a pass rusher, even though he's been an off-ball linebacker at this point in his career. So Anthony Jennings, <laughs> absolute stud. So it's like, all right, cool. Clearly, this guy knows what he's doing. But again, if you're going to tell me it's a new era and all of the same, all of the, the the people in place, all of the you know the central figures of the team are all the same. How much of a new era are we talking about here? Yeah. Now, I'm someone who got very excited last week when we heard that Zach Robinson and uh, Nick Cayley would be interviewing this week for the job, which they did on Monday and Tuesday, respectively. They both interviewed for the uh, offensive coordinator job, and then Raheem Morris gets hired in Atlanta, and the news immediately comes down like, hey, you know, it's likely going to be, and this was Jonathan Jones, and then again, Adam Schefter uh, a few hours later, then tweeted, hey, Zach Robinson is likely going to be, you know, Raheem Morris's offensive coordinator and so that would leave the Patriots to Nick Cayley who you know everyone's like well that's you know still from the Shanahan tree and he's not he's he's he 
he was here. He was already here, right? He was mm-hmm. the tight ends coach for, you know, I think six years before he, before leaving to, you know, to the Rams and being their tight ends coach. Um, so it's like, all right, we can bring him back or Josh McDaniels. And it's unnerving that those are the only two teams, only two names we hear linked to the offensive coordinator job because it's start, starting to feel like this new era is the old era with a new coat of paint. Yeah, it's kind of like... Or even it's like back. I don't know if you for if university if you like like if you like went away for school or if like you lived at like a like a you know university housing and all that stuff. But mm-hmm. I'm just getting a weird dorms. example. No, not dorms like frat house. Like no, oh, like in a frat, but like you're off off campus housing. No, no. I feel like if there's a big, big, big hole in the wall because someone had their head ran through it or someone punched a hole in the wall and you cover it up with like a flag or a banner, you know, it's kind of like hey, like. It, it's the, the the stain is still there, but oh, we just covered it up. Yeah. Or we just, you know, it's like putting tape over something to fix it. Now, if it happens, but at the same time, too, even if they brought McDaniels in as a, like, a not a consultant, but like an advisor role, I'd be, I'd be cool, more cool with that than the actual OC job because at the same time, too, it's just the whole worry about now what are the personnel going to be? Now what's the defense going to be? Because like I said earlier, this team is going to be not predicated on offense, but it's going to be judged on who comes in because it's not a good mess to clean up. It's Matt Patricia. It's Bill O'Brien, which Ohio State fans, you have someone besides Ryan Day to bitch about now. Um, but it's going to be very interesting over the next few weeks to see how this team really takes shape going into free agency because at the end of the day, $72 million to spend a lot of money. So it's it's going to be an exciting time for the Pats. So we'll have to wait and see ultimately what happens. But at the end of the, I don't know about the whole two, the Jonathan Kraft and Robin Glazer stuff. I'm not too worried yeah. about that. Yeah, okay. I'm not too worried about that because I know there's a lot. There, There's someone I had to mute online because they were – like there's a lot of people out there that feel like Jonathan's going to run the team into the ground yes. eventually. And that's, and that's new. That's that's only really in the last like month that that's yeah. come about that I've seen anyway because all of a sudden everyone's like, yeah, the fucking Jonathan Kraft, the fucking Silver Spoon baby. And I'm like, wait, what? Like – yeah, I didn't even know we had opinions on Jonathan. I, I certainly never had an opinion on that guy. Like, whatever. Next to Robert. <laughs> exactly. Although I guess you know I, the the worry there is that you know they don't want the ownership as hands on as we've seen as we you know talked about at the top of the show. You don't want yeah. you know another David Tepper situation. I just think it was so interesting how quickly and how forcefully it came on that everyone apparently hates Jonathan Kraft. Yeah, I feel like with our situation, it's not going to be. You may see them giving opinions, but I don't think you're going to see Robert Kraft get to the level of what David Tepper's doing. Because I think at the end of the day, he, they still know what the football people do the football things. That's mm-hmm. what I feel like is the ultimate say in what's going to happen. I hope so. I certainly hope so. But, you know, as far as the offensive coordinator situation, I hope they kind of uh, figure it out. And if it's going to be Josh, kind of rip off that Band-Aid. I will say that um, an opinion that I, I heard and I agree with is that, you know, Josh McDaniels is probably really good for a young quarterback, right? Like he, you know, there's nothing that we've seen that, you know, indicates that he's a bad quarterback coach. And you you think about the quarterbacks he's worked with over the years, right? And I'm not just talking about Tom Brady or Mac Jones, and those are the two prominent examples, but you look at Jimmy Garoppolo, right? He he was Jimmy's OC for the entirety of his time in New England, and he turned out Mm -hmm. to be a a relatively, you know, decent starting quarterback. Uh, Jacoby Brissett was also here, and he was a pretty good quarterback for him as well cam newton obviously that was that was tough coming in on the COVID year on you know two months of two months of camp um or two months of off season because he got here in in the middle of july um but he got him ready to play and kind of 
got him up to speed and ready to go. So there's nothing I've seen that makes me think Josh McDaniels is going to be a bad uh, quarterback coach, uh, if that is going to be his role or, or whatever the case is there. Um, I would just would have preferred if you were going to sell me on a new era to not have literally all the same guys I've already seen here before. Like, you know what I mean? It's like one of those yeah. things where like, when the tweets eventually drop, like, oh, so-and-so has been hired, there won't even need to be any Photoshops done, like any kind of, you know, <laughs> uniform drops, you know, uniform swaps or whatever. It's going to be like, oh, yeah, this is the pick you took last October, and here it is now, you know, like, so it's like, all right, but I guess I'll be, you know, cautiously optimistic, and we'll see how it looks. Um, I know everyone wants someone from, the, you know, some of that sweet, sweet McVay or uh, Shanahan yeah. you know, wide zone kind of offense uh, at this point. But, you know, it doesn't really feel like that's the way the Patriots are going to go. So it'll be interesting to see how it works. Screw it. Just hire Brian Greasy and call it a day. Um, <laughs> no, no, don't do that. Do not do that. I know he's doing his thing in San Francisco right now, but no, yeah. don't do that. I, I did not like Brian as a uh, commentator on ESPN, and somehow he's quietly doing his thing in San Francisco. I keep forgetting that he's there, and then they'll show him. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. They hired Brian yeah, they took off, They hired him right off TV. Yeah. Um, so before we talk about Championship Sunday, I kind of want to play a little bit of a game with you. Sure. I'm so to play games. as we know, the finalists for all the awards came out. Yes. And what I want to do is I'm going to ring them all off. Sure. I want to each have of us go through. It's called Which One Doesn't Belong and Why? <laughs> okay. I'm going to start from the bottom and work our way up. Uh, I'm going to skip as associate coach of the year just because I feel like that's what's sure. the point. All yeah. the nominees are good. But coach of the year, Kevin Stefanski, Kyle Shanahan, D'Amico Ryans, John Harbaugh, and Dan Campbell. Which one doesn't belong? Yeah. Um, man. See, that's that's tough because I actually I like the names on this particular list. Um, who doesn't belong there? I uh, who do you have? Is Mine is no, it's Dan, and I have a very Dan good Campbell? reason for it. Okay, why? Because Detroit met their expectations for this year. You know, yeah, everyone kind of thought that this is what they were going to be. Sure, yeah, win the, I, I can... win the division, make the playoffs. If anything, it's the playoff expectations. If this was regular season, and that, like, like when I look at John Harbaugh, no one thought Ravens were going to be what they were. Yeah. If you look at D'Amico Ryan's Houston, like if you back about a year ago, we'd all be saying, yeah, no, Houston's not making the playoffs at all. Mm -hmm. Kyle Shanahan. I kind of want to say the same thing. You know, he met expectations. And then Stefanski. Stefanski's the guy who's winning the award. But I just think it's Dan Campbell just for the whole sense of, okay, Detroit's done what they were supposed to, you know? Yeah. Okay. So with that lens, I would say the person who doesn't belong, weirdly enough, is Kyle Shanahan. Um, just because I think they've also just kind of met – they've done exactly what I thought they were going to do, right? You look at them on paper, you're like – this is a team that's going to go out there. They're going to win double-digit games. They're going to look like the, the best team in the year, of, of, you know, the best team in the league for long stretches at a time. And that's exactly what they've done. He's not done anything that made me think, holy shit, like what a transcendent, and, you know, what a transcendent coaching job he's done. Um, and more importantly, I think their roster is stacked. And obviously he plays a big part in that. Um, but <laughs> you look at some of the other names and I really think D'Amico Ryan should get it. I think the fact that, you know, he was able to get there and turn that Houston, I mean, Houston was a, dumpster fire man they were picking top you know top three two two three years in a row it's just that was not a team that was very good the expectations for that team were absolutely bottomed out and they came in and immediately cj stroud obviously played a big part in that but uh they come in and to look as good as he does as he did but more importantly that defense played a lot better than anyone anyone expected them to um 
especially in that front, right? We obviously know they had a, you know, they drafted Christian Harris um, last year and he was fine, right? And this year he looks like a transformed player. Um, they added Will Anderson, who started slow, but absolutely turned it on down the stretch. and looked absolutely unblockable. Um, they have Jonathan Grenard, uh, their their other edge there, and he's been there a couple of years um, and no one had any love for him. And all of a sudden he's playing like a, a player you should, you know, you should look out for. So, I mean, I think, D'Amico Ryan should get it, but I understand the arguments for Kevin Stefanski as well. I, I just think with him, it's just the circumstances then the hands he was dealt. You know, that's yep. all. But like D'Amico all Ryan's injuries, for, yeah, yeah. But the first, if it's the narrative of first year head coach and all that stuff, I go with D'Amico Ryan second. I would say for the whole which doesn't belong. Kyle's my second. It's just for me. I feel like Dan Campbell's kind of like met the threshold, so that's where it's like that. If Dan can't, if the Detroit Lions had what Buffalo did, where six and six, you know, and then scratch and claw and fight their way mm-hmm. to get the two seed, then I would have, then I would have said, yeah, absolutely deserves the award. Um, comeback player of the year. We have Tua, we have Stafford, we have Baker Mayfield. I know my answer. We have DeMar Hamlin and Joe Flacco. Go right ahead. DeMar Hamlin does not belong on that list. I think he's, uh, obviously what happened is the reason he's on that list. Um, but I don't, maybe I just don't understand the award, right? Cause like, I thought it was, you know, the player who, who missed time or was coming back from some great adversity to kind of like yeah. have a great year. Um, and DeMar Hamlin played a, what, 106 snaps on defense this year, uh, mostly a special teamer, nothing to speak out about. He was inactive for most of the games this year. I understand he's going to win the award, right? Cause I'm not, a, you know, I'm not a midget. <laughs> like I obviously yeah. see like, all right, they, they're going to give him that award. Cause the minute he, you know, the minute he was revived, he was going to win that award. Right. Yeah. As long as he came back and suited up, uh, for the Bills, even one time he was going to win that award. Um, I just don't think he belongs, uh, especially because he hasn't played. He didn't really play. Yeah. So it's just tough to be like, hey, this guy's the comeback player of the year award. And, you know, he just didn't play. Exactly. My my, my thing with it, I've, I'll say it's more, I don't like the media treating him like, and I know this is kind of a weird thing, a very not the best thing to say considering how we'd start the show. Ooh, interesting. Like, okay. Giving him the make a wish kid treatment. Holy you know, shit. Okay. I, I thought that's what you were going to say. I, I was like, I wonder yeah. if going to make a wish, but that is exactly what they're doing. Yeah, and that's why I feel like it's an insult to include him in this list because he hasn't played, but you're, yeah. you're treating him like, Oh, well, you know, something bad happened to him. And, you know, obviously what happened to him was, was, was a terrible tragedy. It shouldn't have happened. Um, and it did. But to now be like, Oh, well now he's going to be our comeback player of the year. And it's like, but he hasn't played. Like he just, it's tough. I, I just that's I, I that's the part I can't mentally get over because like I understand the story and I understand obviously he's going to win the award. It's just he hasn't played, man. He just hasn't played. I would the NBA does this, and I wish a lot of other leagues do this. I'd rather see a most improved player award for the NFL. Agreed, agreed, agreed. Because then you have players who like um, who get the award who aren't coming back from anything, right? No. Who are just coming back from sucking <laughs> like a year prior. So it's just like. Yeah, that would make more sense than than the comeback player of the year because uh, and a lot of times the question gets asked, well, what is he coming back from? And there's like no answer. And you're like, okay, yeah, I guess. Like, yeah, Tannehill won it from sucking. Yeah, he, he sucked and then he did it, and they were like, oh yeah, comeback player of the year. I don't know, man. Baker Mayfield the same thing. He wasn't hurt. He just sucked. You know, like I, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, like Stafford, like hurt, not so much. Like Flacco's the one that you look at just because it was like on the couch, but I would give probably ba- I would lean Baker just because of that. But we all know Hamlin's gonna win it. And look, I'm not dogging him or anything for that. It's just the media treating him like or even to 
I'm sorry, but whenever the ambulances have to come on the field in Buffalo and you see the threes posted all over that. Holy like, shit. Yeah, that's so like I uh it makes me feel weird. Like it makes me feel it feels gross. Yeah. They also show him when Pete, when someone goes down and I'm like, okay, that's like that's the treatment of it. Like even to when he went back to Cincinnati and they're like, he returns to the field. It's like they're trying it's like they're reminding you of what happened. Obviously, like, look, you have to keep it alive. I think it would be different if look things had gone the other way, but luckily they didn't. He's alive now. But that's just my thing with it. It's it's just like, okay, now that once he wins the award, treat him like a normal NFL player again. You know, yeah. treat treat him like a normal NFL player. I just looked it up because I had to real quick. Um, he yep. played 17 snaps on defense, 111 oh, on the year. 17. God. 17. Like, that's, that's, you know, that that's a really bad drive. Like, right, yeah. if, if, if your defense is just playing poorly, you could amass 17 yards, on 17 snaps on one drive. And, you know, come by player of the year. Come on. Come on. He deserves more respect than that. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's more of what I'm saying with the whole treating him like the make a wish, the make a wish stuff. It's the respect. Please put the respect, like res- just respect the man and the fact that he's alive and that he's playing football at a high caliber level. And obviously, you know what I mean by that. Like what, mm-hmm. any anyone who's playing NFL football, that's high caliber football. Um, defensive rookie of the year, Wither- Devon Witherspoon, Kobe Turner, Joey Porter Jr., Jalen Carter, and Will Anderson. All right. Who does not belong on that list? Uh, my first thought is Joey Porter Jr., I really don't think he was that good, um, especially in the beginning and middle of the season. I, it, obviously, yeah. he turned it on down the stretch. I think um, I think they were just kind of looking for – I think he has no shot to win it. Um, I think they were just kind of looking for another name to fill that slot. I, I don't see it. Kobe Turner um, for the Rams, he Very has been – He's so good. He's so good already, like already really good. Um, but that'll that's what happens when you're playing, you know, you know, yep. defensive interior next to, you know, Aaron Donald, who – for whatever reason, st- still keeps getting all of these accolades. And even though I think he had a, a tough year, um, a down year by his standards, definitely. But he wasn't really all that great this year anyway. Um, I think it's far and away Joey Porter. I think Devin, Wither- uh, Devin Witherspoon looked good, um, came in out of the gate, kind of smoking hot, and he was the star of that defense. Will Anderson, like I said, he turned it on. And I think um, a player taking that high who really starts to look the part will always get the nod regardless of how it started. Mm-hmm. Um, Jalen Carter – he started hot and then really, really te- uh, tapered off there at the end. What the hell was that about? But I, that you can say that about the Eagles as a team on a whole. Yeah, even even a guy like Jordan Davis. I know he's in his second year for the Eagles, but he's been kind of like just invisible. Uh, no, my I agree with that too. Just because like Joey Porter Jr. Like he had a good. I feel like a lot of teams see a lot of the voters will see what people do in December and then base it mm-hmm. off of that. Which you should yep. look at the full portfolio of work and like you said Witherspoon's the one I think Witherspoon's the guy that's going to win this he's the guy that kind of leapt off the page almost immediately pick six yeah. against the Giants making mm-hmm. plays from the beginning um him and Reek really building a good foundation in that cornerback room uh Jamal Adams aside who look that's just a disgusting contract if the New York Jets have done anything good in the last 10 years it's trading Jamal Adams for two firsts but I neither here nor there uh, offensive Rookie of the Year, Jameer Gibbs, Sam LaPorta, Puka Nakua, B. John Robinson, and C.J. Stroud. I'm going to say mine right away, and it's B. John Robinson. I agree it's B. John Robinson, and that's not really because I don't think he had a great year. I just think everyone on everyone else on that list had a way better year. Uh, Sam, uh, Sam LaPorta looks like one of the best tight ends in the league right now. Uh, Jameer Gibbs, every time he touches the football, he's a threat to take it. Um, home run hitter. He had a lot of counting stats. I think that's going to matter a lot in that race. Puka Nakua is the winner. Like, miss me with that. He's the winner. 63-year um, record. Yeah. Uh, CJ Stroud is going to be your runner-up. He would be the winner. But, I mean, 
Pukunakua has like the county stats for that. And I think CJ Stroud missing those, I think two, two games may have missed three um, with the concussion. I think that's going to, that's going to be the difference maker there. Cause he doesn't have the raw numbers that he would, if he you know didn't get hurt. hundred percent uh, defensive player of the year. I'm not even going to name off all the nominees because there's one name that really stands out as who doesn't belong. And that's Deron Bland. Cause when you look at everyone else, Micah Parsons deserves to be in that conversation. TJ Watt sure. deserves it. Miles Garrett, I think is the winner of the award. And then okay. Max Crosby stud Deron Bland. It's the Trayvon Diggs of 2023, where it's just people look at the pick sixes and go, Ooh, look at those. Cause my man, if he wasn't getting pick sixes, he was getting torched quite a bit. Yeah, but that, and that's that happens with any cornerback who has like a high number of interceptions. Like, um, it's you know, if you gamble, you you will pick the ball off. You'll also yeah. give up some touchdowns, but you will pick the ball off. J.C. Yeah. Jackson was the same thing. Trevon Diggs, um, like you mentioned, he was uh, similar. Although he's been playing, he played much better um, last year, and people didn't want to recognize that. And then obviously he got hurt this year, so um, that's kind of a wash there. I think Deron Bland is probably the answer as well. Um, although. People people get swayed by touchdowns, so I think he'll probably get a lot more votes than either of us are expecting. But I think he, I I would agree, he's not on that list. Micah Parsons has a really good case for it as well, though. He he's is he the best defensive player in the league right now? I think yes. Yeah, I would agree. It's like uh, just like on a snap to snap basis. If you don't account for that guy, you're in trouble. Exactly, it's exactly it. If you just you do that, you go from there. And the only other thing I'll say about Trayvon Diggs is. I remember someone posted a photo of him in the Bills game, and he's just like, and he kept his clothes on. Everyone's saying, like, it was going to take his shirt off for every time his brother dropped the ball. <laughs> uh, what then, is up with Stefan? That, that's something that's going to be interesting to watch this offseason, what they do with him. Uh, three for 25 in the playoffs is just not going to cut it. Um, and he hadn't had an impact play in, like, two months right like as far as like hey he had a game where you're like oh shit Stephon Diggs is one of the best receivers in the league um he didn't have one of those in like for, since like November so I don't know um before we get to the last two I want to shift gears quickly because look with Buffalo um this is a conversation I've seen on Twitter and I'm gonna have it on the podcast but I think it's time to have the Von Miller cooked conversation I've already had that conversation, and no, no one I mean, here, 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 here. Oh, here! Oh, yeah, he's cooked. He's he's absolutely done. <laughs> that's <Yeah>. that's over. <laughs> yeah. What a bad contract that was! And I know people will be like, "Well, he had eight sacks last year, and he was such a good pass rusher for them before he got hurt." Um, you gave him a five year deal. He's like 30, 38 years old. <laughs> you know, forty two years old. Like however old he is, like he, this is not a player that you would you should give that contract to. Um, and I think the fact that he had five tackles on the year, no sacks, um, he had a couple pressures here and there, but even on a game to game basis, he wasn't, you know, getting after the quarterback like that. Yeah. He's he, it's, it's over. It's over. For Vaughn. He's going to be 35 in March. See, he's like a million years old. Yeah. For football years, it's a million years old, but like if I'm, because I know Buffalo's right now looking at all these players, they have it bad. They yeah. have some work to do. I don't know if you saw this. They're bottom three for salary. For yeah. they're like forty five or forty three million dollars over the cap. Yep. Um, I feel like they still put too much on. I feel like you know we said Herbert's like the the biggest what if quarterback in NFL history. Everyone says, yeah. oh, if Herbert had this, and if Herbert had that, and if Herbert mm-hmm. did this, and if Herbert did that. Josh Allen's the opposite because if Josh Allen does great, sing his praises. The second he does something bad, it's immediate burial. And I feel like he's not that treated because it's one of those players, that, you know, the second he's bad, everyone's just like, oh, look at this, look at this. Because 
he can only do so much for the team. Yep. They need support for him. Look, they, the two tight end thing that we talked about last week with Sophie didn't apply in this game. Yep. But at the same time, too, it's like Buffalo is always that thing where it's like something's missing. Like for the longest time, I was saying, and I still think this to an extent of D tackles a position to need for them. Yeah. And then it was they need a running back, but they got a running back. And now they're going to need probably maybe, uh, maybe a wide receiver one. We'll see what happens with Diggs. Gabe Davis, I think, is as good as gone. And then Khalil Shakir is not a wide receiver, is not a wide receiver too. So if you keep him in the three, you got to draft someone or find a way to fork out some money because you could potentially lose someone that you don't want to lose if you're Buffalo because you can't just every year. And also I'm going to say this right now on the show, the way we always been saying with the Dallas Cowboys, it's not your year because you're not available. <laughs> like right now where it's like, nope, you're no, I'm saying that with Buffalo too. Buffalo is the Cowboys of the AFC at this point. Yep, they are the Cowboys of the AFC. I picked them to win last Sunday, but you know what? And I appreciate you retweeting my Bills meme tweet. Uh, the Bart Simpson one. There's also a yeah. fairly odd parents one of this is this is where I put my Lombardi. If I had one, I'm gonna post, I'm gonna I'm gonna show the photo right now just because it's my podcast and I want to. But uh, absolutely, where is it? <laughs> Man, did you see the Bills fan who was crying in the stands? Holy shit. So that that one kills me because I'm not laughing at him uh, being upset because I think um, sports yeah. is one of those things that, like, if you it's haven't theater. cried over sports, you probably don't love sports like that. I mean, I I, I remember after the Super Bowl 40, uh, 42? not 42, no, no 46, uh, I cried for a little bit because – you know, 42, you're like, all right, that was just unlucky. It's bad. But then losing to the Giants a second time, you're like, holy shit, my life is despair. So yeah. uh, I've cried, you know, and I also cried in the AFC Championship game in 2013, even though that team didn't belong in that in that game. But that's yeah. either nor there. I think uh, crying for sports is something that, like, really, like, obviously you're really invested. You're really passionate about it. You're going to cry when your team loses, if especially if it's if it's a, a gut-wrenching loss like that. Yeah. But holy shit. The way he was sobbing, I was like, fuck it. We've all been there. And that's why I'm like, I, 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 it's so funny. Cause like, yep, nah, I know that face. We all, like, we've all been there before. And that guy was hurting. And I think he kind of knows. Um, his face just told me he knows that it's over. Like, and he knows that, hey, this team is not going to be the same team next year. Mm-hmm. It could get it could get way worse. So uh, yeah, that that video, holy shit, I, I've I've seen it so many times, and I keep thinking I'm over it. I'm not gonna laugh. I'm not gonna laugh. But I look at it, I'm like, holy shit, this is hilarious. It's uh, I don't know how much of a Simpsons fan you are, but it's the Ralph William getting his heart ripped out, where it's like you could pinpoint the moment where his heart just ripped. <laughs> um, because think about that fan base. They went from having Tom Brady torment them from years and years and years yep. to. Patrick Mahomes just show up and do it three of the last four years where, yeah, look, 21 was whatever. 22, I still don't agree that they should have changed the overtime rules just because of that one playoff game, but that's not here nor there. And then this year, you know, I'll say this. Last year's was funnier because all season long it was, we're going to the Super Bowl, and then Super Bowl Sunday you see them. We should be in Phoenix right now where it's like it doesn't work like that. So with Buffalo – I like it's one of those things where I feel like their fans are in that stage of coping where it's like because like even I've seen so many like a lot of the people podcast for them they don't want to talk about the game they were literally it was just I had never like I know a lot of them have a saying where it's like wildest dreams land because for them it's just this whole like holy crap like 
for example, I know it didn't work out, but Von Miller came to us and, hey, we have this franchise quarterback and, hey, we have this chance. But at the same time, too, they still have that mentality of you don't know how to face adversity. That's just mm-hmm. it. Like with New England, like like I'll admit to like with the emotional thing, Super Bowl 46, same thing, too. I was emotional. Super Bowl, even 52, I was when they lost oh, the Eagles. Because, Eagles, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that one, too. And then even – which one was it? I think it was 20 – Oh, no, it was the Kansas City loss in 2014 where I was not emotional, but, like, I've never come close to breaking stuff, but that was the one time I almost broke a glass because I yeah. whipped it into the sink. So, yeah, that's what happened there. But, um, but no, with Buffalo, they, they got to go and they got to – you just got to figure it out because when you look at the AFC next year, in the AFC East, it's going to be interesting because it's like the Patriots are there, the Jets, I still don't know what to expect. I'm not going to say anything mm-hmm. until they show me on the field. But the Miami Dolphins, and one of the weirdest things ever, with the I don't know what happened with Fangio there. He's a fine DC. Yeah. There was that weird video of Javon Holland kicking rocks. I don't know if you saw that. Mm-mm. It was on his Instagram. Basically, he you just see his hand. You see two rocks. He basically throws them in the air and he kicks them after the Fangio news drops. So I guess there's just probably some hostility there. And even his dad was speaking out online. But I want to say something with Miami too, and I don't know if this is crazy or not. I feel like Mike McDaniel should take a little bit more responsibility and accountability for how the team's been. Because, you know, I feel like it's just, yeah, you know, he can't do – it's like he can yeah. do no wrong. He can do no yeah. wrong. It's like, look at us. But then when it's like – it's the same thing too where it's like the opposite of Buffalo where it's like yeah. when it's good, it's hey, look at this team. They're all this stuff. And then when they're bad, it's just, ah, you know, it's Miami. But at the same time too, like you got to see something from McDaniel eventually. Like, I'm sorry. I he, agree. He's a hot seat candidate for me for 2024. I, you know, I, I don't know if, if hot seat only because, you know, I, I Luke think warm. How about that? they'll lukewarm for sure. I, but I completely agree. I think he's, um I think his appearance and his whole persona, like they, people really like him uh, personally. They're like, oh, he's like a nerd who's like really funny and all that. And uh, half the time it, it's really not very funny. It's like, oh, okay, that's a little, you know, whatever. Yep. Um, but they really, people have really bought into the, the person. Um, and so we kind of just ignore that, you know, I don't know. He's, 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 yeah, he came from the Shanahan tree. He's, you know, he has all of these offensive weapons. And so he gets a lot of love for a lot mm-hmm. of things that I think are just fine. Um, I think the defense has regressed uh, both years he's been there. I, I thought they'd be way better than they were this year. And I know everyone's just like, well, they had all these injuries. And I'm like, yeah, but prior to the injuries, they weren't really all that great on defense anyways. Um, yeah. Even with the additions of the players, they uh, the, even with the additions that they've uh, made. Uh, I just, I don't, I don't know. I think he, he does need to take a little more heat than he's getting. Um, I just don't know how long before we get to that point because people really like offense um, and Tyreek Hill is fast as fuck. So I think those two things are going to keep him employed and in the conversation. Um, if you remember in like October and November, people were like, yeah, this is the coach of the year. Um, and then like three weeks later, it was over. So I, I, I completely agree. He does need to take a little more uh, responsibility in that sense. And people need to be a little more um, accountable. A little, yeah, yeah, they need to be more fair with their criticisms of him. Because I think right now they're handling him with kid gloves um, because they like the guy. And I don't love that. Um, and speaking of accountability, I almost wonder if uh, McDermott, I tweeted it out um, after the, the loss uh, to the Chiefs. I, I Honestly, personally speaking, I think it's over for uh, for McDermott. I don't necessarily know that he'll be fired. I actually think he won't be fired. Uh, but I think we've kind of seen as good as that team could be, right? They lost the um, 
the AFC Championship game, and they were like, oh, don't worry, we'll be back, we'll be back, and they haven't made it out of the division around since, so. The one example I love to give with that is the Seattle Seahawks. Look, I'm wearing the yep. money from that Super Bowl. Yep. We'll they be back, we'll be back, we'll be back. They have not been back. They have not been to a conference championship game, let alone a Super Bowl since 2014. Um, Sean McDermott, I think he will be back, but when this fizzles out next year, it's gone. I More than I, yeah. anything with that team, it, 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 Brandon Bean has to have a home run offseason or otherwise it's probably going to be a complete house cleaning in Buffalo next year. And like like I've talked about before with you on the show is um, I don't think he's had very many good drafts. Um, I think we're kind of we're glossing over some of the um, I mean, I mean, it happens. You know, he's missed on. a uh, Yes, Kyrie Hillam. Um, he's missed on a few players um, in high and high, you know, high leverage spots that you can't. Um, he hasn't really had like obviously, you, have, you know, Greg Russell's down there. And so you're like, oh, like, oh you know, they're, they're probably pretty good and they're drafting well and all that. Um, they're really just getting late contributions from players who weren't expected to be cont- counted on. Um, so you have, you know, K- uh, Khalil Shakir. Um, they're Gabe like, Davis. yeah, he's going to be a Gabe Davis. Um, and so it feels like they're drafting better than they are. But I, you know, I always say, I always say a good draft can last you a long time. Like if you have one slam dunk draft, you can coast on reputation for a very long time on that one, one good draft. Um, you think about Kansas city, they absolutely nailed 20, uh, 2017, obviously Patrick Mahomes and that, yeah. or 2018 or was it 2017? 17. Whatever. 17, right. Uh, the year they drafted Mahomes, And so they have this reputation of like, Oh, they're a team that drafts really well. And it's like, not really, right? <laughs> they have me, you know, they took Miko Hardman over some some much better players, and um they they've whipped on a few players. Nick Bolton is a really good linebacker they took last year. I think uh not last uh, yeah, last year. Uh, I think they have no, two years ago and then Leo Chanel last year. And it was Leo Chanel last year, who is finally starting to to blossom, Leo Chanel there. Um so it's interesting how much uh rope a really good draft will buy you. Uh and I think Buffalo is kind of coasting right now. I don't love what they've done. There is one GM who they're playing this weekend, but they've they haven't had the best draft track record. But because of a few late round picks, I feel like they are having that coast reputation, and that's John Lynch. Agreed, agreed, absolutely, absolutely. Because think about how much different that team looks if you know if, if Brock Purdy isn't doing what Brock Purdy is doing. You're looking at it like holy shit, they missed on Kinlaw. They you know, you start listing up the names, and it's like. Holy shit, they've not had very many great great drafts. Like if you look at their 2017 with them is the best example because their two first round picks. Yep. Could put Solomon Thomas and Ruben Foster, but guess who they got in the fifth round that year? George Kittle. Yep. And so it looks a lot different. Fred Warner, they took in the uh, on day two in uh twenty was it twenty nineteen? Eighteen. Yeah. Uh and so, you know, it's like, oh, look, they're drafting so well. Look at all these great linebackers. But again, it's the emergence of some players like Dre Green Laws, who's playing really well, obviously. Um, and you just kind of ignore the the hideous misses like Jalen Hurd, right? Uh, <laughs> they drafted him to be the guy, uh, to be a guy for them, and the guy played Zero snaps for them. Um, I think he may have played a couple of preseason games, but he's played zero official snaps for them. And that's, you know, that's obviously not great. Dante Pettis was over there and they were like, this guy is going to be the guy, you know, they took him in the second round. And he didn't pan out either. So again, a one good draft can really buy you a lot of rope. Um, at this point, I think <laughs> the idea should be, Hey, let's have a really good draft and coast until we have another really good draft. And then people will just be like, Hey, you were killing this whole draft thing. Yeah, exactly. Like John Lynch is someone I feel like, He's been a good GM. I preferred him in the booth. I really was a fan of his when he was calling games. But uh, yep, that's just that's just a take I wanted to fire out there. The McDaniel one and the Lynch one, I would say, 
excuse me, I've been sitting on it for a while. Um, but let's finish off the game. Offensive player of the year, Tyreek Hill, Lamar Jackson, CeeDee Lamb, Christian McCaffrey, and Dak Prescott. I'm going to go with Dak Prescott just considering all four of the other players have had unbelievable seasons. Uh, that's, that's just it, you know? Yep, agree. And, that's and then MVP, I hate – I don't know who, but like – MVP, everyone that got nominated, I think, has a solid case for winning. Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Christian McCaffrey, Dak Prescott, and Brock Purdy. It's Purdy. It's Purdy. Only because I think it's it's interesting to have the, the conversation of, like, most valuable player, um, and you're not yeah. even the best player on your own team, right? <laughs> like, I think the fact that Christian McCaffrey is nominated, and, you know, I think he has a very strong chance as well. I think the fact that he's nominated kind of invalidates Brock Purdy as an option yeah. only because you can't tell me like, Hey, your running back is the best player. You know, he's your best player. He's the best player on your team. And he is in the running for MVP as well, but you're also going to get, you know, some votes for it. It's like, no, it, it's him. Like it's, it's McCaffrey. Lamar Jackson's going to win the award in my opinion. Oh, yeah. Most yeah. certainly. And CMC, I, I think with offensive player of the year, I think it's going to be CMC or CD lamb because remember CD lamb, broke cowboy records for receiving that was held by Michael Irvin. And when you're passing yeah. Michael Irvin, you're doing something. You're probably right. doing something right. I think the other player on that list who doesn't uh, quite belong is just Josh Allen. Um, and I like Josh Allen. I really do. I just, um, I don't think his team has been good enough to get the votes. And I know it's an individual award, um, but we know, uh, we know who most of these voters are, right? Um, they're all obviously media figures. A lot of them are on podcasts and all that. Um, and just going by the way they talk, uh, the team record matters. And I just don't know that um, six and six, you know, you know, the Bills at one point were six and six. And I just think that they're going to hold that against them, even though they climbed out of it to finish, you know, uh, what was it, 11 and, uh, 11 and six, I think that's how they yep. finished. Um, I think they're going to hold that against them. So I don't know that he's going to get enough votes to, you know, matter in the in the conversation. Buffalo also only had really one convincing win along the way. I know like they, they beat Miami Week 18, but like if you look at their 6-0 winning streak, the game against Kansas City came down to the wire. Mm-hmm. Dallas was their only convincing one. They barely beat the Chargers. Hell, I will say this on record. If Bailey Zappi doesn't play like a complete moron. Holy cow, yeah, that's a different game. Agree. And then Week 18, Deontay Hardy doesn't return the pawn. Who knows who wins that football game? So that's exactly. – that's yep. that. Yep. Um, but you know what? We got two football games this weekend. We have the AFC and the NFC Championship, which I will say this as I try to get the graphics up. I love, love, love the 6.30 start time. I love the game being yeah. done by, Holy by 9.45, 10 o'clock as opposed to 11.30 at night. Yeah. Know, it's almost 11 o'clock at night as you and I are recording this, but... Even still for this three o'clock start, you know what? You can go out, like how I was mentioning last week, how I play hockey on Sunday. So you can still go out and even if you've got to run some errands, you don't got to rush it. You kind of get to chill and do all that stuff. Do I love one o'clock football? Yes. But the three o'clock start time, it's 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 nice. It's that yeah, middle of the not day. Not your whole day. Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. Get some stuff done in the morning, make the wife happy, and then settle down and watch some football. Yeah, um, and you're not like rushing to get ready for bed afterward. You're like, all right, I still have a little bit of time. I can take my time and you know, shave a little bit or maybe watch some TV. Like, eh, you know, you're, you still have a little bit of night ahead of you. Exactly, that is exactly it. But we start in Baltimore, where them taking on Kansas City. More than we'll get to the winners in a second, but what do you think the ultimate X factor in this game is going to be? Lamar Jackson, right? I think if he can. Um, if he can do what Lamar Jackson has been doing, uh, I think Kansas City is in a lot of trouble. I think they're, um, 
I've, I've talked about it all, all you know, playoffs that I, I like their defense and I like what they do against the run. I think Lamar Jackson is different, though. I think I like what they do against running backs. I think they're in trouble if they, uh, and we saw it with um, with Josh Allen. He was running all over. I mean, just running all over them. Um, yeah. And Lamar Jackson is a significantly more dangerous runner. Um, not not nearly as physical, but I think Lamar is like if he gets in the open field, you're probably in trouble. So if they can't stop him, like in the same way that they couldn't stop Josh Allen, I think it's absolutely over for them. One thing I'm going to say about this game, my ultimate X factor is, is the DB play in this game. Mm-hmm. So you have some very good ball, ball players on both sides. Legereus Sneed, all pro level. Kyle Hamilton's really coming into his own. Very, yeah. very good safety. Uh, Marlon Humphrey, I know he's been banged up a lot, but he still has a lot left in the tank, and he's still very good when he's out there making plays. So he's that's not my. Pardon me? He's just not out there enough. That's just it, though. Yeah. But with this game, I think ultimately, too, it's going to be the, the quarterback versus the defensive back battle, and who's going to turn the ball over? Who's going to make the mistake? Because you know how I know everyone likes to say Sunday's game came down to the last play, but. I don't like to say that just because obviously, look, missed field goal. So it was a little little different. But then even still in that game, how, you know, Josh Allen missed through the ball on second down. Yeah. It's it's going to be those little critical mistakes is what's going to really make the difference between sitting on your couch and potentially going to Orlando and playing in Las Vegas two weeks from Sunday. Yeah. Agree. Yeah. I, uh, I think Travis Kelsey is also going to be uh, an X factor on the Chiefs end. If he can – beat Kyle Hamilton, which I have my doubts. Uh, if he can beat Kyle Hamilton, uh, they're probably going to be in business. If he cannot, I think they're in trouble because as much as I like uh, Rashi Rice, um, I just don't I do, don't really believe in any of their other skill players. I think Sky Moore is my least favorite receiver in the league. Kadarius Tony, I'm not even sure he's going to play. Uh, Marquez Valdez-Gantling makes one play a game, um, and it's never the big one. I just I don't buy that team. Isaiah Pacheco, I think, is a great running back. I think uh, that Baltimore front is going to have something to say about that, though. Did you ever see the video online of like these kids in a Walmart in football gear, and one kid just gets absolutely blasted? Is they just think Roquan Smith when he meets Isaiah Pacheco in the? <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't seen that video. I'll send, I'll send it to you. I'll send it to you uh, off air. But um, that's my ultimate thing. So with this game, I'm going to say this, and also here's the other thing too: John Harbaugh and Andy Reid never played in the playoff. This is a protege versus the yeah the master, the teacher versus the student game. I think Baltimore wins the game, but I think Kansas City is going to – it's going to be a field goal game. I think Kansas City covers the three and a half. I would agree with that. I think um, playoff football is, is different anyway. We always expect it to be like, oh, yeah, the better team is going to smoke them. And it's like all these teams are good. They, you don't get here by accident. So um, three and a half is probably right. Um, when we switch to the NFC side, I'll have something to say about that. But, yeah. Can I say something else with, with playoff football? Sure. Last weekend, in my opinion, is the best weekend of football of the entire year. Yeah, the, the divisional round, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You, um, you can, I, I agree. You know what? Last week, three of the four games were all great. So even the first game was good too. It's just after half, like when Baltimore adjusted, that's when it was just like, yeah, it's like it, Houston yeah. was kind of that humbling, like, kind of just mu- yeah, smothered them, and it was like, thanks for playing. <laughs> thanks for coming. Um, yep. <laughs> so we'll jump right into it. What is your NFC playoff take for the NFC Championship game? That seven, uh, that minus seven for San Francisco is way too high. I think that is that is astonishingly high. I cannot believe that that is the number they're going with. I I know that you know there were concerns about you know Detroit 
um, only scoring three points in the second half against the Rams. Um, honestly, though, I feel like that was a little overblown. Um, I think they're they're a good team. Um, obviously, they thrashed the Bucks. I mean, the Bucks are I, the Bucks. Bucks didn't belong, but um, I think they're a good team. Um, I know that the concern is that their defense is really soft in the middle, right? I, mm-hmm. I mentioned it last week. I didn't like their linebackers, uh, and that kind of bore fruit. They <laughs> those linebackers did not play well. Um, and Cam Sutton's having a really tough year after many expected him to have a great year, myself included. I thought he had a really good year last year in Pittsburgh, so I thought, oh yeah, he's gonna have a great year, he's having a tough year, so there's going to be opportunities there. Um it's the championship game. Minus seven is insane. Absolutely insane. Um, Christian McCaffrey is going to do what Christian McCaffrey does. I think San Francisco is going to win it. I don't think it's going to be some some grisly blowout, and I don't even think it's going to be seven points. One player I really like in this game to have a big game is Brandon Ayuk. I know. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. really like Brandon Ayuk to have a big game in this one because here's the other big X factor for me in this game. I trust San Francisco's cornerbacks to defend guys like Almond Ross St. Brown, um, and also to the middle of the field, Drake Greenlaw, Fred Warner, like Jameer Gibbs is not going to run all over them. We know with Tampa's linebacking core, look, they're a little bit older. They aren't what they once were. Like Devin White, he's still good, but he's not like in that amazing class. But um, yeah. and even with Detroit, too, I say this week in and week out, besides Aiden Hutchinson on that defense, there's no one else you look at where it's like, go out there and make a play. San Francisco, yeah. you got guys all over that defense that are going to go make a play. You got Nick Bosa. You have the ghost of Chase Young. You have Fred Warner, <laughs> Trey Greenlaw. You have uh, Javon Hargrave as well from the Philadelphia Eagles, who's having a really yep. good year. Yep. Um, and then in the secondary, too, the one thing that sucks is if it sucks that Hufanga tore his ACL. It sucks. Yeah. He is an amazing safety. Like They just breathe them differently out there, those the Samoans. They just... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, I I think the the key matchup there is going to be um, Kendall Vildor, uh, the Lions' corner. Um, I think he's in for a tough, tough afternoon. Um, he's going to have to cover Brandon Ayuk in a lot of one-on-one situations. I know they play a lot of zone, um, but they play a lot of match jo- match zone, so it's going to look like man a lot of uh, a lot of times, especially when you get downfield. And that's the matchup I don't love on San Francisco's side. I think a matchup to watch is um, their outside corner or. He's really their nickel, but I know he played a lot outside um, due to some injury. Ambry Thomas, uh, that guy, if he has to, if he if he has to line up against Amon Rossi Brown, I think they're going to have a. Uh, that's a matchup Detroit's going to go to uh, numerous times. Um, but I think it's going to come down to the fact that the linebacker play for Detroit is so shady that. Yeah. George Kittle is going to have a day, right? And they don't have a tight end eraser, right? Because, you know, usually if your your linebackers aren't good, just, you know, drop a safety down and have a safety cover, but that's not the kind of defense they play. They don't have that safety who can like, hey, I'm going to line up against 85 and we're, we're going we're gonna to duke it out here. It's just going to get ugly. Where on the flip side, I think, you know, Sam Laporta obviously had a really good year, one of the best tight ends in the league right now. I think if you match him up with uh, with Dre Greenlaw, he's in trouble. If you match him up with uh, Fred Warner, he's in trouble. So there are advantages that you know San Francisco has just based on personnel that I don't think Detroit has. Because again, if you're trotting out you know Jack Campbell to kind of line up with George Kittle, you know that they might cover that seven. <laughs> you know what I'm yeah. saying? Like that's yeah, that's where it gets kind of kind of grisly. And even too with the safeties plays and stuff like that, like Brian Branch has been good, but I don't trust him against a guy like George Kittle. You know, no, no, I, I trust him against any slot receiver though. Like you, you stick him against a slot receiver, he'll probably play pretty well. I just 
he he's not at that point where he can take on um a george kittle uh, i think the size kind of gives him a little bit of trouble even though he's a very physical player um i think the size speed combinations was going to have him in a blender one matchup i'm interested to watch is the defensive tackles of san francisco against frank right now considering frank right now did get pretty banged up in the division yeah he round. like sprained his knee sprained his ankle sprained everything i'm like oh my god yeah he's gonna play on sunday and then also to in the first matchup as well joe tooney's the same thing where it seems like it's the he's gonna try to give it his all but he may or may not play because I'll say this too with Kansas City, that their tackle play is disgusting. Yeah, it's so bad. And it was supposed to be improved. You know, they signed Jawan Taylor. Uh, Donovan, I mean, uh, um, Donovan Smith wasn't an upgrade. That was that was an error anyway. But they signed Jawan Taylor, and he was supposed to be, like, the guy. Uh, but he's a walking penalty. And even when he's not being penalized, he's just not very good. Yeah, he's always getting pushed into the – I remember the first, it was the first game of the year. Aiden Hutchinson was bullying him for 60 minutes pretty much. But yeah. – Going back to the NFC Championship game, like I like I said, I think San Francisco is going to win this because this seems like the game where if San Francisco were to lose, I know everyone's out there saying like Detroit Baltimore would be a great Super Bowl. I'm like, uh, go watch the game from like three months ago. It's would holy not be shit, yeah, Super. that that would be disgusting. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. You want ball, you want it to be San Francisco versus either or, but in the event that Detroit wins, I think you have to hang that like Buffalo or Dallas banner on San Francisco where it's like three straight years of losing on championship Sunday. Yeah. What exactly do you do from here? Right. Agree. Agree. Um, I will be rooting for the lions. I just, I don't see it happening, but I'm, I'm rooting for them. I, you know, I'm also rooting for the Ravens. So, you know, yeah. that's where I, but I think the, the difference is I think the Ravens will win. I, I don't think Detroit will. That's my thing too, as well. And also one thing I'll say with the scoring totals for this game, I like the over of 44 and a half with the Ravens and the chiefs. I yep. think, that one there, I don't know about San Francisco, Detroit. You know, last week I was saying 51, that. 51 like, is too high. Yeah. No, what, yeah. With, what, for the purposes of sports gambling, whenever the total gets over 50, it's very, very just up in the air where I'm like, I'd rather avoid it. I'd rather just like, you know, do like, if it was like 48 or 49, I'd be okay with it. Like I did, for, I think I did 40, 49 and a half last week for Detroit, Tampa. But 51, like I'll say this right now, I'm going to go Baltimore wins I'm going to go Baltimore, uh, yeah, we'll do 27 to 24, Baltimore Mm -hmm. wins. That's my number as well. And San Francisco, 21 to 17. 21-17, San Francisco. Yes. 21-14 was what I was originally thinking, but yeah, something something in that that realm, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, so it's like both underdogs cover, but the favorite wins. Agree. Yes. But anyway, guys, hopefully you enjoyed the two guys in gray hoodies, Nike hoodies, I should mention, talking football. Carter's <laughs> been here all playoffs. He will be back with, which we're trying to pull in a very important guest for the week of the Super Bowl. So, you know what, guys? Until then, see you guys here next time on YWC Football Talk. Have a good night, Bye. everyone. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com. Do, did, 
Will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holawati from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network.